biggest after hours talk show Late Night City with Pete Price on Radio City 96.7 and City Talk 105.9 Good evening ladies and gentlemen welcome to the programme and tonight for the first time in many many years a live audience Here at the tower, and uh, we hope that you're going to enjoy tonight's program. Uh, this is just our extended family up here, which we're really, really, really pleased about. And remember, uh, if you applied to come here, you are on the list. Many, many hundreds of people wanted to do this. Uh, we're going to do this once a month, and we're going to pick an issue each time. Uh, so tonight we've got a mixed audience, and we've got a panel. Let me tell you what uh, what the program's all about tonight. Your kindness can kill. A new campaign claims that if you give money to people begging, it will probably be spent on drugs uh, that could kill them. Instead, the public are encouraged to support local homeless charities. The government have also launched a campaign which pledges, if you are homeless today, you will not be homeless tomorrow. It's called No Second Night Out and is supported by Liverpool City Council. Tonight with us, uh, we have Carol Hammett, who is the project, project manager of the Basement um, uh, Advisory Centre. We've got David Carter from the Whitechapel Centre. We've got Steve Doyle uh, from the Big Issue. We've got Chris Fern, the development management of housing solutions in City Council. And we've got Tommy and David, who were formal, former, uh, former home, homeless people. Uh, so that's, that's what we're doing tonight. First of all, can we have a round of applause for our panel, who have come up here tonight? It's a big thing because Carol is absolutely petrified of heights. So it's the second time, second time she's come up here tonight, which is amazing. Now, if you have any questions when we start the debate, if you just put your hand up uh, and then I will come to you because I've got a roving mic. For those people at home, we're at the top of the tower, 450 foot high. Sorry, Carol. 450 foot high in the air. And uh, this is our debate for two hours. Then, of course, we'll have the peaceful hour. And then we have my story in the last hour and some calls and then the vote at 10 to 2. That's what we're doing tonight. We'll be taking our breaks and we'll be uh, with the audience. Uh, we've got uh, tea, coffee and soft drinks and hopefully well, we're going to start the debate. So, a new campaign claims that if you give money uh, to people begging, it will probably be spent on drugs that could kill them. Carol, w what's your thoughts on this? I've been in this city centre for 18 years and I'm sick of seeing people under 45 dying of drinking drugs. And when people give money to people who are begging on the street, it makes our job 10 times harder. Because what you're doing is you're maintaining a hazardous lifestyle. Very few people that beg on the streets, well actually I, I walk from Lime Street Station to Park Street every day twice a day and I do see a few beggars none of them are homeless 800 beds in this city te temporary accommodation and you do not have to pay for them you, you can get a free accommodation th th there's lots and lots of help so if you're giving money to people on the street you're maintaining the lifestyle how, how, how big is the problem in Liverpool homelessness is not a big problem now because uh, ourselves the Whitechapel the big issue the City Council we've been working really really well together 
and people are getting in accommodation. The trouble is, some people are still living a street life and they, they're still on drugs and Is alcohol. that their choice? No, I don't believe it is. I don't believe it is. I think they've landed there and they're too overwhelmed to get out. And if someone's going to give you, uh, you know, a couple of quid every whatever, and you can buy your ale and you can buy your heroin and you can buy your crack, then why change? What motivation have you, have you got to change? Carol, tell everybody, the audience and everybody at home, about uh, the Basement Advisory Centre. Um, the Basement Advisory Centre opened in 2000. Um, we, we did some research before we opened and had a look what was available uh, after five o'clock and we found there was nowhere available really so and at that time we're going back 11 years and, and homelessness was, was a problem then so if you were in distress at half five then really you know there wasn't much available so so we opened an evening drop-in um which was full every single day um we we created a living room environment for people that didn't have one and i was like a bit well, not naive, but I didn't know as much as I know now. And people need a hand to get out of what they're in. They don't need sustaining in it. So um, we we got money together to move to another building. And now we offer training. Um, we, we've got residential detox, alcohol detox. We've just started an in-house Librium detox. There's just lots of stuff going on and there's lots of support for people out there. You've got a benefactor, haven't you, that was quite amazing, that out of the blue gave you a lot of money to help you? We have, we have. You're talking about Martin Ainscott. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, Tell us a story about that, because it's interesting, isn't it? Um, in 2004, we, we put a bit of a plea out in the big issue. Um, you know, we were a bit short of money and we said, can anyone give us a hand? And we got a phone call and it was this fella and he said, um, I'm in my villa in Marbella. And I thought, you're having a laugh, you know what I mean? <laughs> Wait, there's us like, with notes. And he said, uh, and I've just read the big issue and um, uh, I'm wondering if I can help. And he wrote, it, it was Martin Ains' call. And as soon as he come back to England, he came to visit us, brought his family, had a look round and said, what is it you need? And, uh, and helped us out a lot. And he was one of them where you could just phone up and say, we're a bit short, can you give us £1,000? And he would. And, and it was great having someone like that. But when we were moving, we needed a bit more than, than £1,000. Well, he, he pays my, he's paid my wages for years. Um, so we asked, could we have a bit more? And he, he, he gave us 150000 It's amazing, is isn't it, that people like this believe in this because there's so many charities that need help we've got a group of people in tonight from claire house who need an awful lot of help along with a lot of charities but it's interesting that somebody would actually read a story in the big issue and be taken back by it and give you that sort of money yeah yeah it's fantastic it's absolutely fantastic but also what what's just getting back to the begging if you if you don't mind me doing that people can earn a lot of money begging and if people would put them collection put in a collection box and if it is to clear house or the basement or the white chapel or, the, or wherever it's to that money then can be spent on helping people instead of keeping people on the streets carol
Thank you very much. We're going to take a break. We, uh, If you've just joined us, it's Radio City and City Talk. Uh, the um, subject tonight, your kindness can kill. Uh, we have people f- on a panel. We have an audience who will be asking questions of. Um, please don't go away. This is Late Night City with Pete Price on Radio City 96.7 and City Talk 105.9. If you've just joined us, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the programme. It's uh, Pete Price, it's Radio City and City Talk. We have an audience in the tower, and tonight we're asking a question. Your kindness can kill. A new campaign claims that if you give money to people begging, it will probably be spent on drugs that could kill them. Instead, the public are being encouraged to support local homeless charities. The government have also launched a campaign which pledges, if you are homeless today, you will not be homeless tomorrow. It's called No a second night out and is supported by Liverpool City Council. We're talking to Carol, the project manager of the Basement Advisory. Dave is from the Whitechapel Centre. Uh, Steve is uh, from the Big Issue. Um, Chris is from the Development Management of Housing Solutions of City Council. And Tommy and Dave were formerly homeless, which we'll talk to. We have an audience who will be asking questions as well and uh, putting their point out. We've got a mixed uh, group of people who listen to our programme, which is great. Just spoke to Carol before, and we'll be speaking to Carol again. Uh, Dave Carter's from the Whitechapel Centre. Good evening, Dave. Hello. Dave, t- tell everybody what the Whitechapel is. I've been up there, and it impressed me amazingly. Tell everybody what it's about. It's a service providing, hopefully, solutions to people who find themselves homeless. Um, we provide a range of different services to cater for people in different situations. Some of our services are based around prevention, because obviously that's the best cure. It's about stopping people from becoming homeless in the first place. Um, and we provide a range of floating support and resettlement services that can enable people to be equipped with the skills and the knowledge with which to actually access accommodation and also be equipped with the skills to sustain that accommodation. And those, those services are very much around prevention-based services. But we recognise that prevention works in some instances but there's also in people that are already in that situation and therefore um, a number of our services work with people to provide the solutions once they're once they are homeless and those services that we have are street resett- street um, um, outreach services working with people who are sleeping so those people who um, are literally on the streets tonight or tomorrow night we have services therefore that go out to meet people um, trying to engage with individuals, work out why they're on the streets and piece together a solution to stop them being (coughs) in that situation and actually enable them to actually come indoors that day. Alongside that, we've got uh, training and education services, so it's, it's very much around enablement. So again, focusing on people who are homeless or at risk of homelessness, but looking at how do we equip them with the skills. So we've got training services, education services, structured learning services that could enable them to actually move out of those situations. Dave, I've got to ask you at this stage, do they appreciate the work that's being done for them or not, truthfully? Yeah. People do. Um, I suppose a number of the people that we work with um, have been involved in a large number of organisations and have perhaps uh, burnt bridges, perhaps um, access services, had a solution that's worked for a while, perhaps it's not working at the moment. Um, Quite often we're the last 
last of a number of agencies that have actually come to. Um, yeah, people are very appreciative in terms of the services that we provide. Some of those are basic services to, to try and make, meet basic needs. So, for example, shower services, if you love sleeping, um, um, a, a sandwich or, or cooked breakfast, if you love sleeping, that kind of thing. Some of them are to meet medical needs. So we have um, nurses, GP services that come and visit and actually provide a surgery. Um, and that's alongside the housing, uh, the resettlement services that we provide. Just going back to Carol for a moment, uh, one thing I learned from you, Carol, I spent a day with you nearly, and what I learned was everybody in this room, it could happen to them, couldn't it? That's the scary thing Absolutely. about homeless. There's a rizzle of paper between us all, literally. You know, the, well, I mean, because everybody's got a story. You introduced me to so many people. I met a professor whose wife died and never came through it. Yeah. Never turned to drugs, yeah. alcohol, everything, yeah. and yeah. finished up. And that was the scary thing. That's the thing that uh, people out there listening right now, it could happen to every one absolutely, of us, couldn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I was shocked when I first started working in the basement because we had a GP whose life had fell to pieces. We had... Um, uh, a woman who was chief executive of a huge organisation whose life had fell to pieces. And you think the route is through care and, and prison and, and whatever, and sometimes it isn't. Sometimes people just, their lives just fall to pieces. Yeah. Let me bring Steve Doyle in from the big issue. Uh, first of all, Steve, I've got to tell you, Palamine's just been to South Africa and was gobsmacked to see the big issue sold in South Africa. Is that part of the same organisation or is that an idea that's been taken? No, it's not part of the uh, same organisation. Well, well, there's there's magazines all over the world. Uh, some of them are called The Big Issue and there's, there's magazines with all different kinds of names that some like to adopt. The big issue name because of that the high profile right. that the magazines yeah. had uh, in England. He just asked me to ask that question because I said you were coming. That's great. Right. D tell us the purpose of the big issue. Well, the purpose of the big issue is to basically uh, give um, people um, a way of earning a living, basically. Uh, that, that's one of the things we do. That, that's the thing that's most visible from you know the people that are here. And how does that work? Uh, well, basically, uh, they um, come to us. They buy magazines off us for a pound, uh, they sell them uh, for two pounds, so they make a pound profit uh, on each magazine. What we find, a lot of people actually think that, you know, we actually just print the magazine and, and hand them out to, to people free of charge. You know, we've always, uh, we've always charged for it, and that's all part of the, um, you know, uh, uh, part of get, you know, getting them on the feet, getting them to actually start, you, you know, thinking about what they're doing with the money uh, and, and planning the money through the week instead of, you know, just having money and frustrating away on, 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 on drink and drugs. You know, they've got to have the money because we don't, um, you know, we don't, uh, you know, give, ma give magazines if they come into to the office with no money. So, the, you know, they've got, to, they've got to look after the money, they've got to start uh, budgeting, like, like we all have to budget, you know, and that's like one of the first steps. Um, on top of that, um, we, uh, you know, we, we run courses for, for the vendors, um, uh, you know, over the years we've done, we've had music courses, um, art, um, writing courses, poetry, uh, believe it or not, and, um, we, you know, at, at the, at present we've got, um, we've actually got um, a little plot up in the dingle, um, and a little allotment which the vendors can, can go and, well, basically the vendors actually, it was a wreck. When we when we got hold of it, and they've basically you know made it fantastic. They grow things, you know things like that because you know 
you know, as Carol was saying, it's 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 not an easy life. It's a hard life for, for these guys. And doing things like that is is just takes them away from you know that day to day. Uh, life that they're leading and just just gives them something a little bit different let me point out at this stage too uh while we're talking about the big issue that it is a fantastic read it's a very very good magazine a lot of people have written great stuff for it and the other thing i want to point out and i've seen it in town i'm in town all all the time i always say hello to the big issue sellers especially the guy outside marks and spencers oh, who's yeah. not very happy because uh, one of the foreigners has taken his place but that's another program um but it's nothing to say thank you very much or no thank you uh, but have a good day you know people just be polite to a big issue sell and say no thank you and in my experience and a lot of them don't know who i am doesn't matter who i am but they they say have a nice day mate thanks yeah but it costs nothing to be polite does it you you do it to a, a somebody else that's selling stuff well exactly i mean you know a lot of the, a lot of these uh, lads uh, and and you know the women who sell as well you know they, a lot of them uh, you know are used to kind of not an aggressive life but uh, you know a life not a life that we're used to where uh, you know you know you're polite to people and that and because people see see them and you know they always think the worst but like you say, if you know, if you uh, if they ask you to buy the issue and you know, and you don't want to buy it, and you say, "Sorry, mate, um, I'm all right, thanks." That's all it takes. You know, just a bit of inter you know, a bit of interaction with them, and um, you know, it goes a long way. And you know, that's how everybody should treat them, basically. Any ideas of what sort of amount you sell in Liverpool of big issues? Uh, it varies depending. Depending on the weather, depending on what time of year, but on average, we're selling in Liverpool around about three thousand copies a week. And how many sellers have we got on the streets? Um, in Liverpool, uh, and this, well, in Liverpool city centre, I think we've got about uh, twenty. It, it does differ, to be fair, um, and in the throughout the whole big issue in the north, because obviously we don't just deal with Liverpool. It's you know, yep. uh, northwest. Uh, Greater Manchester. The You've got them on the yeah, Wirral, yeah. yeah. We've got them on uh, Yorkshire as well. That's that's all our area. Um, we've, um, on average, around about 300 um, uh, on a regular basis. Throughout the year, we'll, throughout the north of England, we'll probably see about 900. But that's people coming and going for you know yep. for whatever reason. It's Radio City and City Talk. Uh, we're live at the Tower with an audience tonight. Uh, we're going to take a break and then we're going to talk to Chris Ferns, who is the development of housing solutions in City Centre and uh, the City Council. And we're going to ask the question: Is there anybody homeless on the streets? Late night city with Pete Price on Radio City ninety six point seven and City Talk one hundred five point nine. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Radio City and City Talk. Uh, it's our live uh, discussion, and, um, well, we hope you're enjoying it. We have uh, an audience, selected audience in here, and we have a panel of people. The audience will be asking some questions and telling us their views shortly. Um, and um, the debate tonight is uh, your kindness can kill. I said before the break uh, we're going to speak to Chris Ferns, who is the Development Management Housing Solutions for the City Council. Chris, good evening. Thank you for coming. 
Inc. Tell us, is there anybody homeless in this city? Or uh, should evening. there be anybody homeless in this good city? Evening, Pete. Uh, yes, unfortunately there is. Uh, but the whole point of the No Second Night Out campaign is that if anyone it comes new onto the streets in Liverpool and they find themselves sleeping out for one night, for no matter what reason, I mean, our promise is that they won't have to sleep out for a second night. And I think that is a major step forward in terms of a city. We're actually the first city outside of London to put that promise in place. The No Second Night Out campaign started in London and they got a huge amount of funding to do a No Second Night Out campaign throughout London. They have a special facility for people to go to. They have a whole team of people. In Liverpool, we don't have that money and we don't have that infrastructure. But what we have done is we've actually, because of some of the good work we've done in Liverpool previously, the government did give us a small amount of extra money. And what we've done is we've got together the City Council, the Whitechapel Centre, the basement, the YMCA, um, the, uh, the big issue. We've all got together with the organisations in Liverpool who deal with uh, rough sleepers and we've actually managed to construct an organisation and we've got a special phone line and we can actually guarantee that if anyone is new onto the streets in Liverpool, they'll, if, if they're reported, uh, someone will be out to see them, hopefully within 24 hours, and they will be offered a solution and also will actually get back to anyone who rings the phone line uh, and leaves their details, we will get back to them and actually tell them uh, what's gone on and that's at a team of people go out who are uh, from the Whitechapel Centre. Uh, also, this is not happening just in Liverpool, it's across Merseyside. So I think we've actually put something in place to make sure that, you know, if people do get for whatever reason, they do end up on the streets. They'll only stay there for, for one night, which is, you know, the absolute minimum. Are there people out on the streets? And we'll speak to uh, Tommy and Dave in a moment who were formerly homeless people. But are there people on the streets that actually enjoy it? I don't think any you could say that anyone enjoys being out on the streets. Now, I'll give you a, an example in a minute. Uh, one of the things we do, which might interest people um, um, every year, is we go out and do a street count. And this is, it's all right for me, you know, I work in a city office, you know, for the city council. But, uh, you know, we need to know what the reality is out on the street. So every year, we get a group of volunteers, including me, uh, and people from the their organisations like The Big Issue in the Whitechapel Centre in the basement, and we go out. Uh, at two o'clock in the morning around every single street uh, in the city from uh, the Royal Hospital down to the Albert Dock and we actually go down every back alley and every little nook and cranny of the city is searched to see if there is any rough sleepers there and we actually uh, this year when we did that in a November an, un an, an unusually warm November night we were out this year but uh, previously years it's like wet and rainy and it's horrible and, and cold we actually found nine people out but interestingly uh, three Three of those actually had places to stay and one of them which was a guy I found with the other person I was out with I think he'd been out for a quite a long time he just the day before got somewhere that was in quite a new facility which was a very good facility uh, that's recently been opened and I think he was just getting used to being there and he slept out that night but I think subsequently he went back and he actually you know stayed there he actually had his key with him uh, and he could have gone there and we could have taken him there but he just didn't want to go then and there so I don't think you could say he didn't enjoy that I mean he had a can of lager with him and he obviously wasn't you know in a good good place um, but and I think subsequently he did get into the accommodation but you can't say people enjoy that I think they people get like Carol was saying people get into a street lifestyle and it just becomes a way of life and I think 
the whole thing about the no begging campaign is to actually try and give people a push uh, uh, out of that lifestyle. And I think sometimes with some people, not only do you have to have the pull of having services there and a place to go, you also have to have the push of not giving people money so they can't sustain themselves on the street. Chris, where does the money come from? The money for uh, the services. Yeah, and for right. the help. Well, I think what we've done, uh, a lot of the money comes from uh, the City Council's grants and, um, and funding streams that we get from the government. So a lot of money that's used to support the Whitechapel Centre comes through our mainstream funding. I think Carol in the Basement uh, are very good at applying for um, grants from private sector organisations. As you say, they've got a lot of money from Martin Ainscroft, who's been extraordinarily generous. Uh, the City Council have helped the basement get money from the government as well for their for their building so we've done that now that's all that's the day-to-day -day stuff what we've also been doing in Liverpool is because we actually work very well together we've we recently for instance put in a bid for some what's called a transition fund bid uh, from the government who are now coming up with all this funny money that you can bid for uh, and between the YMCA the, the basement the Whitechapel Centre uh, the big issue and the mild May hostel we actually got another three hundred thousand pounds worth of funding from the government, which the council then put some additional money towards. Uh, the, the actual the YMCA have put some money into that pot, and, and that has allowed us to develop the services that were actually put in place uh, to ensure that no second night out happens, like the phone line, like the hub people can go to to get help. Have you got the phone line there, by the way? Yes, the phone line's here. It's on the, we've got these plastic credit card size things. The phone line to report a rough sleeper to make sure they get some help is 0300... One two three two zero four one. And again, slowly. That's o three hundred one two three. 2041. And in about an hour's time, that will also be on our website. So you Excellent. go to radiocity.co.uk, you go to Pete Price's page, there is a Pete uh, directory, and that number will be on there. I've got to ask uh, Dave Carter from the Whitechapel Centre how big a problem is it now for young people <coughs> to be homeless? Are you seeing more and more young people? Um, we're seeing. <laughs> Not necessarily growing number of people um, who are rough sleeping who are younger. We're seeing a number of, of young people without the choices perhaps that they had previously. Um, and that tends to be more the issue. So um, people who potentially are staying with family or extended family or friends longer, those options begin to wear thin. They go to another friend or another family member and that, that wears thin. And who are struggling then to find actual accommodation further down the line. In terms of, of, of rough sleeping or those that are on the streets, no, we haven't seen an increase in, in the number of young people. It's been more the actually finding the longer-term solutions, the access to accommodation, um, and, and that kind of, of situation. Let me ask Carol, um, with the situation of people out of work, more and more desperation, um, is that becoming a problem for homeless people? I don't think that's kicked in yet, the... Um, the it's changes. interesting. Everybody at home, everybody's shaking their head, agreeing with Carol there. Yeah, I, I don't think that's kicked in. I, th I think with all the changes, and I, because of the, the single room rate and, and stuff like that, I think we are going to see problems, um, but they'll be further down the line. It, it's not, it's waves, isn't it? And it's not waved yet, but 
but we are expecting that. Chris uh, from the City Council. Yeah, I was just going to agree with Carol. I think we actually monitor the, the homeless, the number of people who come to the council and sort of present with housing problems. And we haven't seen a, 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 an increase in that because of the recession yet. I think Liverpool has done relatively well in the economic recession in terms of large factory closures. I mean, we thank God we haven't seen anything like, you know, the Jaguar plant closing or the Ellesmere Port uh, factory closing. And we haven't seen that increase. In other parts of the country and in also in other parts of the northwest there has been an increase in homelessness and we expect that to hit us next year sometime and we're already looking at what we can do about that we're also expecting the benefit changes to have a big impact uh, because of the single room rate and because of the uh, under occupation sort of benefit changes uh, and also the, uh, the the move to universal credit and what i would say to people is that what we're doing at the moment is we're doing a lot of writing to people who are in those groups who are going to be affected uh, and saying if you're going to have a problem you know please contact us contact the housing options service contact someone to get some help we also do that to anyone in mortgage arrears who we get a letter about we get notifications from building societies about people who are being taken to court for mortgage arrears and we write to every one of those to say please come and get some help here is where to phone up here's where to contact the problem is not many people actually do and what we find is people are then turning up a lot later they bring in a stack of letters that are unopened and they've just turned a blind eye to it and they actually wait till it gets really really sort of dangerous for them and they're almost getting kicked out of their their property and then they come in and that we find you know we'll have an own they'll bring a pile of letters in one of them will be an unopened letter from us saying please come to us for some help that we sent two months ago so i think People, there is a lot of help there now, and people have got to sort of just ring the phone line or, or get onto someone to actually get that help. Right. We have an audience, as you know, here in the tower. Uh, a lot of people we spoke before um, we started the programme. A lot of people are working. A lot of people are successful. Um, we have two people who are homeless, formerly homeless, Tommy and David, uh, which is David. David. David, what would you say to the people in here tonight who think... You know, a lot of people on the road and off, not working, are lazy, good for nothing, that can't be bothered, just want to have a drink and, you know, are a waste of space. Well, I can't speak for everyone else, but for myself, that wasn't true. You know what I mean? In my circumstances, I ended up homeless because um, I split up from my partner um, and I just went down, downward spiral, you know what I mean? I um, always wanted to work and all that, but I just ended up mixing with the wrong crowd and went from there and it went from there to drink to drugs myself. What was the turning point for you? Um, two, years, uh, two years ago, I was involved with the Whitechapel in the basement um, and about 14 months ago, I got involved with the basement. They took me on a detox and ended up going to um, Few projects um, turning my life around, and I've been clean here nearly a year now. Looking back, can you see where you went wrong? Um, I can see where I went wrong now, yeah, but at the time I couldn't. Um, it was all clouded, I was just wanting to drink all drugs, um, and I had no other way else. To, I, I couldn't get up, I didn't know where to get up from, and the help that was available, I just wasn't, I was closed minded to it, I wasn't bothered. So, and since you've changed your lifestyle, how many times have you thought, oh, 
I wouldn't have, have a drink. Well, I'm to, I'm totally absent now, so uh, I, I can't do that because um, I know where my life goes. Goes nowhere. I just end up in jails and back on the streets. I lived that life for too many years now, and I can't afford to go back there. When you walk through town or any town and you see somebody's homeless and you see somebody's on the streets or drunk, d d d does it anger you? Do you feel frustrated because you've been there? Yeah, well, I feel sorry for them. I, I know how hard it is. Um, once you get out there and you're on them streets, as I say, you know, you, you, there is generous people in Liverpool. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's not, it's not cheap just to have a drug episode at air lovers, and uh, you do get a lot. You, I was getting myself personally. I was getting quite a lot of money from using and me drugs. They ailed a lot, um, but it was hard just to give it up. But if it hadn't been for the basements and where it ends up in the treatment centre, I wouldn't be where I am today. You say you were getting a lot of money. You mean off benefits? Uh, no, not no off benefits. Uh, committing crime, um, begging, um, asking the general public anything. What I had to do, whatever I had to do, I was just done for money, uh, for drugs and, and for ale, because I needed it. Interesting you say about begging, because um, we're saying tonight uh, your kindness can kill. What, on a good day, could you earn begging? Um, on average, you know, easy, easy 50, 60 pounds, easy. Um, more sometimes, sometimes less. You know, I'd, I'd be awake for days on end, do you know what I mean? Mainly through the night. Um, I'd make more money over night time because if people are more generous when they're drunk themselves. So I'd, I'd basically live in town. Um, I ended up homeless myself because it was easier for me to stay in town and, and earn money than it was to go home to my flat in, in Anfield. And I just basically made myself homeless, really. I found it easier. What's it like on the street? Because you look like a guy that can handle yourself. What's it like out there? It's, it's pretty rough. It's, uh, take the good with the smooth. I, I just focused on the money, not nothing else. Looked after myself. That was it. Um, I, I just got by on a day-to-day basis. Um, basically, you know, um, I spent a lot of years in out of jail and all that. Um, most times I was getting relief from prison. I didn't have an address, so I just knew. Uh, within like a couple of hours, I'd either go left to, to, to for a drink or right for, for to a drug dealer. And within two days, I'd stay on someone's couch and I'd end up back in town on the streets because that's where I could easily make money. Can you have friends on the streets or is it dog eat dog? Well, it's associates, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, you're all there for the same reason to make money. Yeah, you have little clicks and things like that. Tommy, what was your story? Um, I've had uh, drug and alcohol issues for 35 years. Um, I, I lost me me house through through robbing drug dealers. Basically, um, I had to leave the house, and uh, me and my girlfriend ended up on the streets. Um, it's when on the streets I started begging. Um, I found it was easy to make money begging than, than basically thieving. Um, my drinking got worse. My girlfriend died of cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, and that's pretty much um, the way it went. I, I'd, I'd sleep in town. Um, I'd sleep in doorways. Um, just drunk most of the time. Most of the time I didn't even know where I was. Um, I was incapable of bathing myself, um, shaving, changing my clothes. Um, I lost a lot of self-respect. Um, I could crash out in doorways and get beaten up off people who, who didn't really weren't really sympathetic. Um, I've had uh, broken noses, cheekbones, fractured jaws. I've been urinated on. Um, and that's basically uh, the life I led. I got used to that life. Uh, and no matter how hard it was, it was comfortable. And I felt, I felt safe uh, in that life. How did you cope when you lost your partner? Um, 
and she's basically took any drug um, or whatever I could drink or whatever I could take um, to, to try and block it out. Um, I tried different detox centres. I'd last for 10 days and, and I wouldn't be able to handle it um, and, and I'd jump the wall and go and get a drink. Um, it wasn't until the basement offered their um, residential detox um, and I asked for Parkview um, that I actually managed it. I managed, I managed to get abstinent off the drugs and off the drink. Uh, I went into Parkview and from there I did the pay a mentoring course with the basement and the Vols course, uh, work following through with the basement and the White Chapel, uh, and last May the basement took me on uh, as an outreach worker. Um, I've got my first qualifications um, and my life's completely changed around. Have you ever sat down and tried to work out how much money has been spent on you by hard-working taxpayers? Um, no, I haven't. But, uh, it would be a lot of money. It'd be a lot of money, um, and it'd have been more so um, when I was on the streets, because um, I was in and out of the police, uh, police cells for, for begging um, three times a week, D and Ds. Um, because I was homeless, they'd keep me in the cells. That'd cost the money, uh, the government money. Um, I'd go to the court. The transport from the cells to the courts would cost them money. The appearance in court cost them money. When I went up, it'd be. £50 fine or a night in the cells, which which had done, so basically I'd walk out um, uh, two days later, it happened again, uh, and that's what my life was, basically, um, getting arrested for begging or D&Ds or, or whatever uh, the excuse was, you know, or the reason was, I should say. David, what was it like for a woman on the streets? Um, just it's worse for a woman, I'd say. Um, easier targets. Um, it's got to be able to on themselves, uh, especially if they're on their own. Um, you know, um, myself, I had a girlfriend, so she had a, we had a dog. The dog looked after her, you know what I mean? Um, but she used to do her thing, I used to do my little thing, and then we'd all just meet up um, and do what we had to do, buy what we had to buy. So, simple as that. It's Radio City and City Talk. We're going to take a break and uh, we're going to ask uh, for views from the audience after this. We've got um, Carol, who is the project manager from the Basement Advisory Centre. Dave is from the Whitechapel Centre. Steve is from the Big Issue. Uh, Chris is from the City Council, from the Housing Solutions. Uh, we've just been talking to Tommy and David there, who have been homeless, formerly homeless, who were very honest with us. And we're asking you, your kindness can kill. The Voice of Liverpool, where you matter. Late Night City with Pete Price on Radio City 96.7 and City Talk 104.9. Welcome back to the tower. It's Radio City and City Talk. Uh, it is our first live discussion. We're doing this once a month. And if you'd like to apply, uh, if you go to radiocity.co.uk, uh, go to P Price's page, you'll see a page where you can actually uh, reply uh, and get put on the list and be picked if uh, you want to. Um, we only hold about 35 people, uh, which we've got 35 nice people on. It's a nice evening looking out at the tower. It's nice and clear. A lot of people haven't been here before. Um, and we're talking about your kindness can kill. A uh, lady over here has a question. Your name is? My name's Carmel Nolan. And your question? Um, I'm interested to know how many servicemen that you've got that come through your system, because I've heard a lot about people coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, you know, the servicemen, and whether, for whatever reason, something falls down for them, and we have 
people who've been brave on a front line somewhere stuck on a poverty line here is that the experience in the northwest Interesting. So the question was, uh, how, how many servicemen, ex-servicemen are you getting? Are you noticing servicemen coming through? Um, we don't get a lot of people directly out of the army who then become homeless. I think there is some support available, obviously, from the army. What we do tend to get, and it's throughout our housing option service, is that we get people who've come out of the army, then after a year or two years, they've been living in a flat, and, and they can't cope with that. So what we find is, you know, one of our housing option staff might go around to see them and there'll be a flat that's in perfect order, everything's very neat and tidy, but they just can't sort of cope with living on their own in a flat after being used to army life, where everything's regimented and everything's, you know what you're supposed to do every day and you're told where to go. And I think that's, that's an issue. But we've actually, there's a, there is help available in the city from SAFA and from the British Legion and I think, and obviously they, they are given some priority. So th there is help available for that, but I think the problem's not coming directly out of the army it's actually what happens a year or two down the line when they find like society you know it's just not an easy thing to live in uh, after being in like what is a, a really total institution in the army it's interesting you say that do you think then um that that is going to be a wave when eventually the soldiers please god they come back from afghanistan alive i think it's quite possible but i, I think we are we do monitor that we monitor the reasons why people become homeless and we actually look at you know emerging trends so we can actually pick stuff up like that and then, and then you know we talk to SAFA we talk to the British Legion and we can see if there's something we can do about it. Carol? We have a few entrenched rough sleepers who were in Ireland many many years ago and I think post-trauma and, and, and those type of things weren't recognized then and they sort of fell through the net and they are the entrenched rough sleepers and the people that are difficult to work with. I, I'm just hoping now that post-trauma is recognised and, and I know that we get a lot of support uh, from the British Legion and, and other places. So I'd, I'm, I'm hoping beyond hope that, that the island, you know what I mean, the, the, the soldiers that, that uh, served years ago, mm -hmm. I'm hoping that the people from Afghanistan and, and Iraq and that won't, won't face those problems. If anybody in the audience, by the way, has a question, if you just put your hand up and I'll come to you with a microphone. Um, so just put your hand up and I'll see where you are. I've got to ask um, Steve from The Big Issue. Um, can you explain how it works working for The Big Issue? Because it's only a certain amount of time, isn't it? And then they have to go into the big wide world. Or have I got that wrong? You've got that wrong, I'm right. afraid. We tried that. Um, oh, that was quite a while ago. It was when I first started, actually, they, they, they were doing it. And um, it was a two-year um, uh, project. So after the two years, um, you were basically, you know, uh, not you, you just couldn't work for us anymore but it didn't work because you know for some people yeah that was great uh, because they got to the point where they felt that they you know they could move on but there was an awful lot of people that couldn't um you know because a lot of the the big issue was getting um, a lot of sticks saying you know we, we, you know we'd seen these people on the streets for for quite a long time um so that 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 started us thinking about that but it didn't work because there was too many people who stopped selling it who weren't ready and then basically things you know they were back into total and utter chaos they weren't earning any money from anywhere and then you know what happens then the begging um mixing with the wrong people um so it didn't work so now 
you know, we, we work with them and um, if people are ready to move on, whether that be to, you know, to go into detox or, um, you know, to start volunteering and, and this, that and the other, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see them through that. Um, you know, but it's 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 down to it's down to the individual. Some some can get through quickly. Some it takes time. Do they pay tax at all? Um, tax. Well, that's uh, that's, that's a, a difficult. Uh, basically, with with the way it works is that when they come to us, um, the uh, anyone who wants to sell the magazine, one they have an induction with us. One of the first things that we do is um, basically inform them that uh, they've got to. Uh, get in touch with the benefits agency um, and uh, you know they, they, they basically sign up to say that yeah they will do that then it's obviously because the self the class is self-employed so they've basically got to go to the benefits agency uh, and declare themselves and we you know we strongly advise them to do that because um, you know the benefits agency get in touch with us all the time asking us about certain individuals is that individual actually uh, you know selling the magazine um, so you know once it's got to that stage and the benefits agencies are involved um, that then it's basically you know th that's their business and their deal they deal with that themselves um, and that, that's basically how that works uh, I'm gonna go back to Carmel because there's a lady in the audience who doesn't want to speak but she's got a very good question so she's told Carmel the question I can't believe you're gone shy on me my word what's your friend's question it's Sharon Hennessy's question she's interested in knowing how many people come through the care system to the streets Wow how many People, anybody, any idea how many of uh, the care in the care system come to the streets? Uh, we'll go to um, Chris. I think, again, immediately after people come out of care, that shouldn't happen because if you're a 16 and 17-year-old, you get priority anyway in the, the homelessness system. If you're a care leaver, you also get priority. So. Again, it's not a question of when people immediately come out of care or, um, you know, when they're 16 and 17. It may be that the problems, some of the problems that led them to come into care are still hanging over them when they move out, when they get into a tenancy and then they find it difficult to cope. But again, there are, we, I mean, I work in the City Council, so I liaise quite closely with the children's services about how can we sort out 16 and 17 year olds and care leavers and make sure there's a route for them into long term stable housing a lot of it depends on the support they're given when they get a tenancy it's not so much a problem about whether they get a tenancy of themselves or whether they can get a flat on their own it's what how they cope with it when they get it and what then happens so we do get a number of people you know who might be 23 24 25 who have been former care leavers who then have problems and become homeless and obviously we try and help them with that so again it's one of these things it's a bit like you know the the, the soldiers uh, issue it's not immediately you come out of the institution it's what you do a few years down the line that we see the problems start to emerge it's radio city and city talk uh it's our first live discussion at uh, the tower uh, up in the zoo and uh some of the listeners uh, out there are ringing in um telling us they're really enjoying this uh, debate we're going to ask some of the people who are here if they've got any questions after this next break if you've just joined us it is live it is nearly 11 o'clock it is radio city and we're asking a question your kindness can kill. Liverpool's biggest after-hours talk show, Late Night City, with Pete Price on Radio City 96.7 and City Talk 105.9.
Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. If you've just joined us, we do have an audience. We are live at the Tower. We're asking a question. A new campaign claims that if you give money to people begging, it will probably be spent on drugs uh, and that would kill them. Uh, instead, the public are encouraged to support local homeless charities. The government also have launched a campaign which pledges uh, if you're uh, homeless today, you will not be homeless tomorrow. It's called No Second Night Out and is supported by the Liverpool City Council. We've been talking about if you've just joined us we've been talking for the last hour uh, to several people who are involved and also two guys Tommy and uh, David uh, who have uh, been homeless and lived on the streets uh, we have an audience we have a panel I'll just uh, push through a young lady here wants to ask a question whoops your name is hi my name's Lauren I'm from Clare House Children's Hospice and um, following on from the last question regarding um, children and, and, and care and how people from care come through to potentially be homeless I was wondering wondering what support is out there to put families back together and um, support children whose uh, parents or, or relatives have gone onto the streets and, and what support um, is out there for them? Who wants to answer that? They're all looking at each other. Yep, um, we're going to talk to Dave from the Whitechapel Centre. Um, there's a range of different services which I suppose provide different types of support. Um, obviously it's going to vary from each individual depending on Depending on what's the reason that somebody ended up on the street or, or who in the family household ended up on the street or if it was the entire household, but also depending on the effects that of living on the street have actually had. I suppose the services which uh, come to mind are the floating support type services, but also the intervention type services. So alongside, say, for example, the housing advice, the housing intervention type arrangements, I suppose one of the things that um, is required is an understanding of what effects homelessness has had and an understanding of 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 the of the fundamental causes without that i suppose moving forward can become really difficult and it can actually hinder i suppose the solution or it can actually provide a sticking plaster which actually isn't the solution it's just a temporary fix which doesn't enable them to go forward so i suppose within the city there's a range of different floating support services a range of different advice services which specialize in different areas of intervention so you've got substance misuse floating support services you've got domestic violence floating support services you've got family floating support services and I suppose the idea is that, that, that we can actually try and cater for each individual's different needs. All of those services will uh, I suppose operate from a person-centred perspective so they're not all going to just focus on just single issues because we recognise homelessness is, is so multifaceted and you've got to actually address all those variety of different issues but also it's about drawing in a range of different agencies to provide a multi-agency approach N not one single agency is going to be the solution it's not just going to be the landlord it's not just the support provider it's not just the counselor it's not just um the the drug worker it's all of them together that potentially is going to be the solution but equally it's about uh, some of that is about the timing of that solution and, and the timing of those agencies coming on board one of the things we want to do is provide a coordinated approach and we want to make sure that the timing is right for the interventions um We've spoken a bit about uh, care leavers, we've spoken a bit about um, people leaving the forces, and sometimes the timing of that intervention is crucial because it's about when the effects actually happen or when the effects of potentially what's happened to them actually come to the fore. So all those things come into account. Let me ask you a question. Is, is the 
too much support out there? Because you've mentioned, goodness knows how many agencies. Is there actually too much support? And I mean that not sarcastically, I mean that really as a serious question. Don't think it's too much support, because if you look at it, all of those agencies probably have waiting lists. All of them have got full number of people that they're actually supporting so it's certainly not that there's too much it's about making sure we get the message across to the right people at the right time and I suppose when you look at things like the No Second Night Out campaign it's about recognising that early intervention is actually going to have a far more beneficial effect on, on individuals than actually leaving it further down the line. Ultimately what we want to do is prevent homelessness full stop if we can't prevent it we need to intervene as soon as possible, provide the right solution so people don't get sucked into a life style that actually becomes more that, that worsens the situation the person started off with also we don't want them to actually um end up with f further complications to health further complication to other support needs so it's about the timeliness of that intervention and it's the right help interesting uh, you just mentioned a point which i'll ask uh, and carol you can come in in a second and also chris but um, how are the homeless treated by hospitals because they must be in and out all the time anybody answer that question carol we put a worker in the royal hospital uh 2006 uh, because a lot of people was discharged to the streets um, things have changed massively now and uh, the the staff at the hospitals come to a lot of training so they they are a bit more empathic but we've actually got a really good treatment room now so if if people want leg dressings and uh, stuff that they would normally go to the hospital for, they can come to us, because that, you're talking about money and expense, that's incredibly expensive going to hospitals so we're trying to uh, You wanted to make a point before that. about... I wanted to make a point before because you know when you've said is the too, is the too much support it's not that there's too much support, it's just that we've Human beings need emotional nourishment, and, and we're fragmented now. We, we're quite on our own a lot. You know, where years ago there'd be big families and, and the, the streets had helped, you know, or there was a lot of community. Well, it's gone a bit separate now, and a lot of people are on their own, and, and sometimes it doesn't matter how many services are there, if you're not getting that emotional love, it's as simple as that. Uh, so people don't flourish. So yeah, that's, that's Chris, you wanted to, to come on on that uh, as well, didn't you? There's a point about the hospital. I think you're right that in, in a lot of places the, the, there's a lot of bad practice around hospital discharges. If you're homeless in hospital, you, you, there is a potential for you to get discharged without any support. And a few years ago uh, in Liverpool, uh, we have a men's hostel, and uh, someone was sent from a hospital, I won't name which one it is, uh, to the men's hospital with an oxygen tank uh, because they were homeless and the staff just discharged him without any communication and just sent him to the hospital. And when they got to the, uh, sent him to the hostel uh, and quite clearly the staff didn't think it was any fit state to be discharged, you know, anywhere, let alone a hostel. And he was actually sent back, right back and readmitted. Uh, but now we do actually, we not only have a worker in the A&E department, which uh, the primary care trust uh, now fund up, 
believe, uh, but also we have an agreement with the hospitals about what they do. Uh, if someone comes into a ward and they think they're homeless, they actually refer them to the city council's homeless service to start, you know, early on, so we can actually do something about it, and so we, we solve the problem. The other thing I wanted to come back to you on the point about there being too much support. I think what we realised a, uh, a, a few years ago is there was a lot of general support and not enough specialist support, and we've actually changed that now. So now we have more um, hostels and bed spaces where there is specialist support for people who have drug and alcohol problems, for younger people, for domestic violence. There's a, there's a lot more specialist support, uh, and there's, there's a fewer places like the YMCA, for instance, although we still have the YMCA, that offer a generalised sort of service to homeless people. And I think that's in order to target the, 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 the most critical help on those who need it the most and to actually get them out of the homeless lifestyle. Because I think previously we had a lot of generalised sort of help that wasn't really getting people permanently into long-term housing. And that's where we want people to be, into having stable lifestyles, like everyone else has. Everyone needs a place to live, they need friends, they need a job. And, and and that's the same for anyone who's homeless. Uh, lady in the audience. Uh, my name's Nisha, and that might have answered part of my question. It was, how supported does the panel feel by the NHS and mental health services? Things like counselling services, therapeutic intervention. Are you getting... Do you feel as though you are supported enough by the NHS? Well, I can, feel, I, you, in case anybody missed that, do you feel uh, supported by the NHS? Yeah, I, I certainly feel that there's... Um, one of the things I did uh, a couple of years ago is I had some meetings with the Mental Health Trust in, in Liverpool, and we actually... The, there are community mental health teams in Liverpool, and what we made sure is that, again, if anyone who actually was admitted to a mental health ward uh, via one of these specialist teams, that they actually identified them early on, and instead of only referring them to the homeless service when they were about to be Discharged to do it as soon as possible so that we can actually prevent them losing their tenancy. Because sometimes what would happen is people would go into hospital, uh, they would be there for several months, and in that time they would lose their tenancy because their benefit would stop, they would get evicted, but they would hardly know about it because they were in hospital for a long time. So we hope to put a stop to that sort of thing. So that is something. It's a, and that is about joining all the system up. I mean, sometimes the system doesn't work very well, and that's part of my job is to join those things together. Which, I mean, I wouldn't say it was perfect, you know, it, it's not perfect, but we are going a long way towards sorting those sort of things out. Uh, yes, gentlemen from the big issue. The, the, the medical side of things, up until a few years ago, we found that there was uh, an awful uh, lot of um, our, our vendors uh, basically couldn't get on the books of GPs. Uh, that sort of thing, and dentists, and, and as we all know, uh, you know, from from a dental point of view, you know, a lot of people don't think of it, but it, the drugs can absolutely ruin your ruin your teeth and all sorts of diseases. So they weren't getting that that access, and it's something that the big issue really uh, campaigned for. Uh, and now, it, you know, it seems to be happening. I, th I think it's it, you know, it's like anything. It's uh, with these organisations, you know, if nobody really says anything about it, nothing gets done. But once you start doing a bit of campaigning, and you know, the council and other organisations get behind you and start putting. In, uh, you know, good case forward. You know, things can change, and, and luckily, they, you know, they are changing now. Just something else that's just reminded me of something. One of the things we are seeing, I think, is a lot more people who, because of long-term drug abuse, have physical health problems. So I know if you sort of inject yourself in your legs and things for long enough, and you develop thrombosis and things, you can lose your legs, or you can lose a leg quite easily. Uh, and that sort of thing is, we, we are actually, you know, uh, upgrading the hostels and things so that we can actually cater for people 
people with more disabilities. Not only because of that, but for other reasons. But long-term drug use does actually have other incredibly serious uh, consequences, which were, you know, we need to... And that's another reason to not give people money for begging, because it does go on drugs. It's Radio City and City Talk. We're going to take a break, and we're going to be back with some more questions. This is Late Night City with Pete Price on Radio City 96.7 and City Talk 105.9. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's Radio City. It's something a little bit different. It's the first time we've done this uh, in many, many years. We're live uh, in the tower and we'd love you to join us sometime if you want to go to radiocity.co.uk onto the website, go to the P-Price page, you'll see a form there to fill in and you're very welcome to join us, we have an audience with us uh, now we're talking about a campaign, claims that if you give money to people begging it will probably be spent on drugs that could kill, instead the public are encouraged to support local homeless charities and the government have also launched a campaign which pledges, which pledges, if you are homeless today, uh, you will not be homeless tomorrow. It's called No Second Night Out and is supported by Liverpool City Council. We have got Carol from the Basement Advisory Centre, Dave is from the Whitechapel Centre, Steve is uh, from The Big Issue. Chris is from the Housing Solution and City Council. Uh, we've been speaking uh, honestly to Tommy and uh, David, who were formerly homeless, were uh, really interesting in what they told us uh, about life on the streets. We have an audience with us, and we have a young lady here, a very pretty young lady. Your name is? Hi, my name is Faye Morrison. And your question? Um, my question is, um, I was wondering, you know, with regards to the first night on the street, um, if you did find yourself in a position of having to spend your first night on the street and um, where would you go and find the charities such as the basement whereabouts w would they be to prevent spending a first night on the street interesting so the question is if you're on the streets how would we find the services how in fact would they find the services who um over to uh, dave from the Whitechapel center I suppose there's a range of mechanisms which we use to make sure that people get the message. One of the things that we have is obviously the phone number in the first instance that we're actually advertising. Um, and that number is being displayed right across the city through different formats, whether it's at bus stations, whether it's with city wardens that have got posters up. So a whole range of different things. And the idea is that people will become aware of, 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 of that phone number. Second thing, though, is in terms of recognising that obviously not everybody knows that phone number or you won't have it when you actually need it in, in a particular sin, uh, situation. So one of the things that we do is do street outreach, and street outreach is literally, as it says, we go out onto the streets to actually find people who are potentially going to be finding themselves homeless that night, that morning, that day, doesn't matter when it is, in order that we can actually find them, bring them back, and provide the interventions that are actually going to be required. Obviously, um, with, with, with the range of different services here, one of the things that we, we produce is a, a credit card-type leaflet, which is, is called Homeless in Liverpool and that leaflet has all the different agencies on, including the addresses, maps in terms of where to actually go to, but it is a fold-out concertina-type um, uh, credit card uh, thing. But it's, it's located in hopefully all the different venues, all the different services that people can come into contact with whether it's the security guards, whether it's the city wardens, whether it's the travel uh, whether it's the police, they've all been equipped with these cards so that they can actually pass it on so that doesn't matter who you go to um, or where you find yourself, you can pick these up Thank you. Uh, let's go to a gentleman at the back of the Zoom. You just joined us. We have a live audience, and uh, we will be doing this again, hopefully. Uh, yes, your name is? My name's Lyon. Um, 
obviously we've just had the announcement that the unemployment level is the highest for now 16 years. Um, what sort of do you anticipate the, the knock-on effect of the wave's going to be? And is it then going to stretch your resources to the limits? Carol. Everyone's resources are stretched to the limit and that's only going to get worse. I, I think we've come to a time now where um, it's like uh, Peter's borrowed from Paul and Peter and Paul have gotten out now, so we're all going to be in a really uh, bad situation. Um, as Chris said before, we are, we are trying to look to the future and trying to put things in now so that when we get this wave, we can deal with it. But it's a case of fingers crossed. So it's unknown, really. Chris? Yeah, I also think it's a question of people. We need to get the message across that people need to get the help that's there. As I said before, we, I mean, we do write to everyone who we get a notification about that they're in mortgage arrears and they're being taken to court. But very few people actually contact us. And we do find a lot of the time people have a sort of bury their head in the sand attitude. And they wait and wait and wait in the hope because they can't face the problem or they think it's going to go away or they think somehow they'll find a way out of it and they don't and then it comes to the crunch and, and they end up being homeless because of that. Now luckily at this point there's not many people become actually homeless because of rent or because of mortgage arrears because you know they do get some help or they find another solution, they sell their house, they downsize but I think that is going to get, uh, uh, that is going to be a worse problem. I mean you mentioned the unemployment and I said before that Liverpool has done uh, comparatively well in the recession, but we don't know whether that's going to change. And nationally, there is a rise in uh, homeless presentations and people in, in temporary accommodation. And there's been a rise in rough sleeping nationally, which uh, uh, we haven't done so badly in Liverpool about that. So I think the local situation is slightly different at this point from the national situation. But we certainly expect, in terms of looking at the statistics, that, that next year, we tend to lag a bit about a year behind the previous rises in homelessness. So we do expect it to go up. And I think the way that we are going to try and manage that, and that's, you know, part of my job in the City Council, is to make sure everyone works together to manage that, is, is that we are working a lot closer together. You know, despite the funding situations, we've actually, as, as organisations, the people here, also people like the YMCA, the Salvation Army, all the hostel providers, we are working very, very closely together to, to make sure we can actually cope with those people. Because obviously we want to maintain the no second night out promise. Uh, and we do intend to do that. I mean, let me be absolutely clear. Come hell or high water, we will try and stick to that no matter what. Uh, and whatever we have to do in the city, we will do. But we'll do it together. And that's, I think, uh, one thing I think everyone can take some pride in in Liverpool is how we've got a lot of voluntary organisations and we've got a city council who, who actually works to coordinate them all. And everyone does work together. You know, in some other places, there's a lot of fighting between different organisations who think different things. But, you know, we do in this city, people do pull together. And I think that spirit could actually help us overcome those problems. We can't take calls tonight uh, because of the situation we're in, but we are uh, monitoring our Twitter, our Facebook, our emails, and also um, people are uh, e um, uh, texting in. And one of the questions which I'm going to put to Tommy and David, one of the big questions that's coming in to everybody is, and um, please take your time, I'm answering. Uh, a lot of people are saying, why should we help you? It's self-inflicted. You've done it to yourself. Um, 
I didn't stress out to end up on the streets. I, I, I didn't wake up one morning and think, right, I'll become an alcoholic, a drug addict. Um, I didn't see it coming. I didn't realise what had happened. Um, it happened over the course of years, um, where it slowly takes your pride, your self-respect. Um, you, you, you will take her up off your backside, basically, and have a go. Um, you just get used to that lifestyle, you know, and, and um, people who, who get that used and that entrenched to, to, to rough sleeping, um, they, they need a hand, they need, they need people who are, who are non-judgmental, um, who, who, who welcome you out the door with a smile. They, they need to be able to trust again. It's not a very trusting um, community on the streets, and they lose all that trust, they lose all the self-respect. Um, so what, what, what they need is just people to take a little bit of time, um, talk to them, find out what the issues are, and, 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 and they'll want help, they'll ask for help. Yeah, you tend to play on people's, play on people's kindness, um, you know, very generous city, and, um, you know, pe you know people are going to feel sorry for you, because we, we weren't always on the streets at one time, I used to work and all that, and feel sorry for people, but when you end up there yourself, you know people are going to be giving and be very generous, and you just prey on that, do you know what I mean, all your morals and standards and values goes out the window, do you know what I mean, you, you lower yourself, you just don't care, um, looking back now, you know, I'm ashamed of what I've done and where I've come from, and, and what I've done in my past, but, you know, What's happened? I'm the kind of change that you know what I mean. Um, I didn't. I didn't grow up to go like that. But it happened. Question from a gentleman in the front. Your name? Uh, my name's Chris. Um, quick, just a quick question. Um, of the people um, that um, have come off the streets and gone into care, what would you say the percentage was of people that have gone back onto the streets again? That's an interesting question. Uh, the people that have been homeless and gone on the streets, you've got them off the streets. What is the percentage, if any, have gone back to the streets? Anybody want to put their hand up and tell us? Carol first. Talk about the, uh, the residentials that we do. And you're looking at sort of 65% uh, success rate. It's what you've got to do. You've got to look forward. It's no good just thinking you can help someone for five minutes and they're going to be all right. In, in six months' time. You've got to make sure there's a package that will sustain them until they are ready to, for independent living. Because when you've been on the streets for a while, you're used to a, a, a sort of a non-responsible, in, in, you know, you have to pay bills or buy shopping or, or all your money does go on drugs and alcohol and these, these lads will I'll tell you that. So the, there's a really, it's like relearning almost. You've got to uh, learn how to pay your bills. And, and But again, what I was saying before, where it's also about trying to build up a network of support because if you've not got that, you're not going to do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. So th there's, there's loads and loads of things got to happen. It's, it's, it's not just about getting people accommodation. Chris? Yeah, just uh, talking of stats, we do. We have started monitoring this recently because we've de developed this tracking database, so anyone who's reported a rough sleeper and that we see, we actually log them on a database, so we can actually tell if people come back round. And it tends to be, I think at the moment, in thirds. About a third of the people come on the streets and go straight off. About a third will, will go round once or twice, and about a third might end up being entrenched. But the whole point of the No Second Night Out campaign, which has recently been launched, 
most is that we want to catch people earlier. And one thing we know from the research is that the earlier you catch people, the less likely they are to get entrenched into that lifestyle. So the idea for No Second Eye Out is to get them right as soon as you can and to get them out of the, off the street and into some sort of support straight away so they don't even meet other people on the street. You know, getting there are other people, because there are people who live on the street who don't necessarily, aren't necessarily homeless. They're like street drinkers. So if you get involved with those people and you're, you happen to sleep on the street as well, you just, you just start drinking more and you just get into that whole lifestyle. So part of No Second Night Out is to try and you know, reduce the number of people who end up coming back. Uh, and that, that's crucial. Getting in there quickly right at the start is absolutely crucial. And, and, that's, uh, and that is also a much more cost-effective way of doing it. Uh, yes, just before we take a break, we'll go back to uh, Steve, uh, the big issue. You wanted to make a comment. I just want to go back to what uh, the, the guy said who texted in about, you know, why, you know, it's your own fault and why we should bother. And basically, why we should bother is, you know, because of these two fellas sat here and other fellas that, um, and ladies that we, uh, you know, that I work with on a daily basis, uh, and, and Carol and Dave do, you know, uh, if, you, if you just, why should we bother, then people, then people are going to die. You know, as Carol was saying before, it's as simple as that. You know, these guys here, to do what they've done and to get to the... I mean, I think I heard Tommy saying before, you're an outreach worker now. You know, he's in employment, he's paying taxes, he's, he's, you know, he's a part of the community again. And it's the same, I see it all the time. And it's, the, anyway, it's one of the things that, you know, it's, it's an hard job what we do. Um, you know, not not physically, but you know, mentally. It, it, it you know, seeing seeing the state that people get in and everything. But when you see him come out the other side and you see him start getting jobs, you see him start in college and stuff like that. It's absolutely unbelievable, and that's why people should care, and they shouldn't just say, "Well, it's your own fault," you know, because why, they can come through it. I think why they're saying that, Steve, is there's people um, dying of cancer, there's people getting diseases that they're not asking for, and they're saying, like drug addicts, like alcoholics, this is self-inflicted, why should we give all this money when other people need help? That's why they're saying it. Well, to be, to be further, I mean, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a group of people out there that if you've got cancer, you know, and you smoke, you, they, they, wouldn't want, they don't want you treated in hospital. There's always going to be people who, who, you know, no matter what, what the problem is, they're going to they're gonna snipe at you. And what people have got to start to understand is the, the most important thing is the people. These are people we're dealing with. They're not just objects. They're human beings. And, you know, what, what, you know, what we need to do is have a bit of compassion. Yeah, people make mistakes. People have had serious problems in their lives, whether it be, you know, um, divorces, they've lost their jobs, whether it be they've been in the, the, the care home system. Whatever the problem is, at the end of the day, they're human beings. And us, as human beings that have kind of got through life and had jobs and had families and le led a normal life, you know, Let's just support them and let's stop criticising all the time. Right, question? Pete, basically it's just going on from what that said. It's all right saying people have cancer, they have this, they have that. Their illnesses, that's what we all face in life. But other things, like, you never know what's round the next corner. I had my own company. Thank God I was successful. It's fine. Something could have happened and I could have ended up just like these lads. You don't know and... People are too quick to judge and say, why are you like this? Why are you like that? You've got to be there to know why they're like that. It's, it's people who've got to have a lot more compassion in life. You know, you've got to think about religion. You know, don't walk past a man who's dying on the road. Try and help him. 
and that's exactly what these people need. They need help. It's Radio City and City Tour. Let's take a break. Late Night City with Pete Price on Radio City 96.7 and City Talk 105.9. Welcome back to the show tonight and thank you very much to all the comments we're getting on Twitter, emails, uh, uh, <laughs> everything else we've got, Facebook, the lot. Uh, and it's really interesting. We're talking to some experts. We're trying to discover uh, what's happening about homeless people. A uh, gentleman here, who actually I do know, is uh, Jaff, who's got Viva Brazil. Uh, good evening, and thank you for bringing these people with you. Uh, you got a question? Yes, I have. Um, just while we're talking about unemployment there, I'd like to talk about... I think it's fantastic how guys like this have really turned their lives back around and got back onto the right track to, you know, join the communities and society again. I'd like to know, once they get to that point with your help, what sort of um, specific projects and organisations and training is there available to them to make sure that they are, you know, to help them even further to get back into um, employment? Carol? We linked up with uh, Enterprise last year, yeah. They rang us up and said... uh, We've picked you as charity of the year, yeah. And I was made up. I said, oh, that's lovely. Anyway, they came down and um, I said, I don't want you collecting. I don't want donations. Um, I-, I want your expertise. So, And, and I-, I want you as, a, as this massive big company to give us a hand. So what we arranged was uh, they said they were going to do some uh, interviews learning people how to uh, how to go through an interview and we picked people who'd gone through the process like tommy and dave you know they'd they'd, they'd got over the drug and alcohol problems they were ready f- for work um and the the they sent a team of five people came down did it all proper you know they had panel interviews really good they brought the people back in told them what was good told them what they needed to brush up on Anyway, at the end of the day, the guy that was uh, running it, uh, um, he came over and he said, you know what, it's a joy to see people who want to work. It's an absolute joy. And between July to Christmas, Enterprise would give our ex-service users uh, six jobs and, and... Ten other people got jobs because of the skills they learned. They got email addresses. They were just things that, that we we haven't got the expertise really to show them, but they had. So sixteen people got jobs, and that was absolutely fantastic. The basement seventy five percent of the basement staff are ex service users, because we felt. Again, it's this taking the person to a certain point. And what was happening? You were taking them to, like, the end of the table. And they were falling off because there was, no, there was no, nothing out there. And because of the criminal record, and this is another thing for me, once the drugs and alcohol stops, the crime stops. And I've been taking people on for eight years, and, and I can honestly vouch I've never had any problems with people. And the, the, they've got... You can decorate this room with the with the criminal records. Never done anything once the drugs and alcohol stops. So, and I'd I'd like other employers to to hear that because I think people think, oh, been a shoplifter, you know, better watch the tail. And actually, that isn't the case. 
Oh. It's interesting because you um, bring people to, to work. You've got restaurants all over the country. Um, and it's a service industry. So you really, to keep that business going, can't take a chance, will you, in some cases? No, it's difficult. I mean, we'd like to. It's exactly like um, Cal just said there um, when you're talking about that like the trust issue and you think that once they've been into that situation that they're always going to do it it's difficult for us to take a chance businesses like ours we'd love to do it more and be able to find people like these guys to bring them into our businesses there is always that element can you trust them you know it's if you don't take a chance it'll Carol? never happen somebody's you've got to take the risk yeah, I'm, but the, yeah, but the other side of that, Carol, is he's in business. If it goes wrong, his business could collapse and other people that work in his business are out of a job. So it, it's catch-22. Well, with one person, you could take one person on, couldn't you? I'm just... I'm just no, you've got to start somewhere, though, haven't you? Take one person on. His company's not going to fall. Do you, do you know what I mean? Right. Uh, this is amazing. We just had somebody downstairs. Mick's on the door downstairs. We've had somebody who is homeless has just asked for a question. Um, we couldn't bring him up because we're full. And the question is, can you tell us how safe it is in the hostels? Because he's saying it isn't. Depends on what hostels. It depends on really? what hostel. There's some fantastic hostels in Liverpool and there's also some not very fantastic hostels. So it all depends what hostel he's in. Chris? Uh, I think that obviously there are hostels that are funded by the City Council and they are very um, closely monitored and regulated and if there are any incidents we get reports about them and if there is anything untoward goes on you know it is it, you know is looked into so and I and we have improved those hostels a lot over the last five years they've had a lot of capital investment and you know the, our men's hostel in Green Lane is like a little travel lodge I mean it is a great place and it's got training for so I think there are other private hostels and obviously I can't you know, speak about what may or may not happen in those. We have tried to, over the recent two years, we have recommissioned a lot of hostels and tried to um, only obviously have the better providers providing hostels that we fund. So, but obviously there are people outside of that system who provide private, what might be classed as a private hostel, and, you know, places in houses of multiple occupation that, that aren't, you know, uh, regulated in the same way. So, obviously, there are, we realise there are some problems around places like that. A question to all of you, Carol, David, uh, Steve, uh, Chris, a real question. Do you ever think that all these people who are on the streets, who are homeless, are actually laughing at you, that they're taking you for a ride? Not for one second. <laughs> Not for one second. I don't know of any 14-year-old kid who goes to the careers office and says, when I grow up, I want to be a street drinker, I want to be heroin and crack addicts, I want to sit in me on urine in a doorway. I don't believe that happens. And I think people end up, a lot of people have childhood trauma. There's a lot of trauma goes on. A lot. There's a lot of people that are broken, if you like, and they, and they end up in a, in a situation where they can't put one foot in front of the other. But to, to not lose any more dignity, they'll say, oh, no, I choose this life, me. I choose... They don't. They don't. I also think that once you've, like we do, go out once a year and actually look for people down every back alley, as I said earlier, that once you've found one rough sleeper in some rat-infested back alley, I mean, you realise, you know, people like that aren't there for a laugh. 
you know they don't do it because it's really a life choice you know they're there because for some you know other reason so those people when you meet them they are not laughing at you they, Dave, they need help Dave are they laughing at you the Whitechapel Centre no definitely not and I suppose it's 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 when you actually see somebody in a particular situation usually it's a point of crisis it's usually a point where everything has actually gone wrong and they're actually looking for you as the last resort because they actually want a solution they want to get out of that situation nobody aspires to that nobody wants to be in that situation steve from the big issue no um no one uh, no one's laughing uh, uh, at all because basically you know we, we provide a great service for them and you know we build relationships with these people um you know uh, they come to the office uh, not only like i said earlier not only to sell a magazine but they come for advice they come you know they come for a chat you know that you know it's an important thing like carol was saying before you know that's a thing that people don't uh, don't understand that a lot of these guys is, uh, are on the streets they haven't got any proper friends you know they you know when was the last time any of these the, these fellas had a hug off anybody you know that might sound a bit daft but i tell you what everybody here you know we all need a hug at some point whether it's from our wife you know our kids and that they don't have this, you know. So, you know, it's the, the relationships you build up with these guys, because, you, you know, you, you're with them for, you know, the, the, you, you're with them for quite a few years. You, you know that, you know, they're like you. You like them. You might not always agree with them. They might not always agree with you. You know, we have some big barnies with the, with some of them, and there's, you know, there's no uh, there's no hiding that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's down to respect. We respect them, and we want the best for them. And because of that they're not laughing at us it's as simple as that it's uh, 18 minutes to 12 o'clock we're going into our last break uh, and then we've got uh, about 15 minutes left uh, with our panel <coughs> excuse me uh, it's radio city and city talk at 12 o'clock we have the peaceful hour as normal at one o'clock we've got uh, my story and then we've got some calls and we'd love your calls later to tell us what you think about uh, the program tonight then we have the vote at 10 to 2 please don't go away be the voice of Liverpool, where you matter. Late Night City with Pete Price on Radio City 96.7 and City Talk 95.9. It's Radio City and City Talk. I've got to tell you, there's a lady in the audience who does not want to be recognised, and I understand why. Um, she was attacked a few years ago by Hope Street, uh, and somebody tried to mug her. A big issue seller came to her rescue and helped her and flagged a policeman down, which I think is fantastic. She didn't want to be recognised. She's in here today. She didn't want anyone to say, but credit where credit's due. That, that's, that's really, really good, so I'm really pleased about that. Right, a very big question. Uh, on my phone in all the time it's them and us them and us they're all coming into Europe uh, from Europe I should say taking our jobs now we've had lots of people tonight on Twitter Facebook and on uh, email saying what about the homeless that's coming in are they saturating us and are they taking the places of our own homeless? Can you believe that as a question? Carol, first, are we getting more and more people from Europe in this country because they know we're a soft touch? We got lots and lots of, lots of Polish and Czechoslovakian and Lithuanian people came over uh, before the city culture. The, there was lots of work in Liverpool and people actually came over for work. Um, some people found work, some people didn't. Uh, this group didn't get 
penthouses and, and loads of money on benefits. They were not entitled to benefits. So I think there's this th th this confusion uh, about people thinking, oh, they're coming over there, yeah, they're getting 15-bedroom uh, houses and, and, you know, thousands of pounds a week. That That isn't the case. So... No, people are not coming over here uh, wanting to be homeless. They did come over looking for work. Some of them didn't find work. Some of them are still here. Dave from the Whitechapel Centre. Is your Whitechapel Centre full of people from Europe? No, it's not. I mean, as Carol said, um, I, I suppose at different times of, of ec economic prosperity, we had a large number of people from Europe, and they were here purely and simply because of work, because of paid uh, um, employment. Um, prior to April last year, the vast majority of people from um, Europe actually had no recourse to public funds. Obviously, the laws changed, but also so is the economy. Um, if we look at the people who are actually using our services at the moment, we have got far less number of people who are actually from Eastern Europe and that's to do with the economic trends that go with it um, I think also just though because obviously people are here for a reason um, and that I suppose people find themselves in situations which do work out or don't work out. So for every person that came over that was looking for employment some of those individuals then couldn't continue that employment or that employment dried up and found themselves in different situations. So there were some and are some who were homeless and are homeless and I suppose the organisations like ours actually provide those solutions. Some of those solutions may be to actually enable them to actually return to their country. Uh, for some other individuals it might be they do have recourse and we will actually get them indoors. Steve, I've got to ask, <laughs> tongue in cheek, are they coming over here taking our jobs as big issue sellers? No, they're not taking not taking our jobs because as, as big issue sellers because um, you know every pitch that, that we can uh, like put a seller on uh, is not full you know we've got more pitches than there are vendors so I mean the, the, the Daily Mail have been peddling that kind of uh, that kind of rubbish and uh, I can tell you now 100% it's not the case there might be some disputes um, over people wanting certain pitches and then um, you know saying oh the foreigners have got our pitch and so on, but that, that's a different issue altogether. Um, but as far as the actual taking, you know, the, the, the pitches away from the uh, the English vendors, that is 100% not uh, not the case. Chris, are we being inundated with people out of work who are homeless from Europe taking what we've got in this city? Uh, we're certainly not inundated. There is a specific issue with people who've come here to work and then lose their job before they've got an entitlement to benefit. So um, one of the things we do under the No Second Night Out campaign is actually, as um, uh, David said, is actually we can help people return home and we have actually done that. Uh, I mean, I think we helped someone return to Amsterdam Amsterdam and someone else from Madrid. So it wasn't even people from Poland and Lithuania and Bulgaria and Romania who are the usual sort of targets for that sort of accusation. So th there is an issue with people anywhere who lose their job. I mean, some years ago, before the No Second Night Out campaign, we had a, um, an incident where there were five people who'd come from Romania. They were working in a factory uh, somewhere, I think, uh, in Bootle. Um, they had accommodation tied with their work. The factory closed. They lost their jobs. 
and, and they were going to be homeless. Now that was for absolutely no fault of their own. And what we did in that case is we actually assisted those people through a, a church organisation to return home that, that a 24-hour, 36-hour coach journey back to Romania uh, with our and the church group's assistance. So, you know, that sort of story is, is the thing that we come across quite, quite a bit. Starting with you and going along the table, will we ever have a country without homeless people? No homeless people whatsoever. I would love to, I would love to not have a job. Okay, I mean, my job is, you know, is to be the lead person for homelessness for the city council. I'd love to make myself unemployed. I, you know, I can't see that happening, you know, just yet, you know, for various reasons. I mean, but what we're trying to do here is we're trying to make it an absolute minimum so that certainly in terms of street homeless, you know, we really shouldn't have people out on the streets for more than the night it takes them to have their crisis and get there, and we should then be getting them off. Um... It's a difficult one. I, I think that there'll always be an element of homelessness, uh, no matter how many um, services are, are put there. Um, I mean, basically, um, it, it, it's because it's you're dealing with people and people. The things that people come across in their lives. Um, not everybody can cope the same way, everybody copes with things differently, some cope well with things and they can get through problems and crisis in their life, some people, it's the total opposite. And um, there's going to be those people who can't cope with stuff who do fall through the net, um, but with things like no second nights out and that, um, basically, you know, we'll get it, I th we'll get it, we'll get it really down to a minimum, but I think there, there will be people who'll fall through the net. Dave? Yeah, I think we have to aspire to it, but I suppose it's the difficulty of putting it in practice. We know that there's going to be people, be people who, whether it's relationship breakdown or whether it's something else that's happened in their, in their, in their life cycle, where they're going to be homeless that day. What, what we want is obviously this situation where we can actually provide that solution that day to prevent them actually being homeless. Carol? I'm ever the optimist. I, I believe... <laughs> I believe we'll get to a point where we haven't got any rough sleepers at all. I think we'll always have temporary accommodation because people are, you know, people do go through difficulties. But I truly believe we, we, we will get to a point where we don't have any rough sleepers. And we will get to a point as well that we're... We don't have any people living street life. If all your listeners don't give money to people who beg in the streets, that'll be one step further and put the money in a collection box rather than give it the individual. Carol from the uh, Basement Advisory Centre, Dave from the Whitechapel Centre, Steve from the Big Issue, uh, Chris, the Development Manager of Housing Solutions City Council, Tommy and Dave, who were formerly homeless. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, can I have a round of applause for our guests tonight, please? <laughs> It's now time to move towards the news and also uh, the peaceful hour. What I would like to say to everybody here tonight, I think it's been an amazing experience for our first uh, programme with an audience, which we'd like to do once a month uh, without any shadow of a doubt. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah. Yes. Yes. You've been a really nice audience and the panel have got these uh, cards. Uh, the cards um, which the uh, numbers will be actually put on uh, our website uh, on radiocity.co.uk if you go to uh, Pete Price's page uh, then you will um, see the numbers under Pete's directory. Um, I hope everybody at home, thank you very much by the way to all 
all the uh, amazing comments we've had on Twitter, Facebook, emails, uh, and the phones have been going um, red hot, which has been great. It's been a great experience. I hope you've learned about the homeless tonight. It is an incredible thing that we see people. And in my column today at the Echo, which will come out tomorrow, I've written about Whitney Houston. I've written about Michael Jackson. I've written about Amy Winehouse. And I said, like myself and other other people, we shouldn't judge. We maybe should really not judge at all. We should probably guard our thoughts and think, there, by the grace of God, go I. Because that maybe could happen, please goodness it doesn't, it could happen to any single one of us in here tonight. All you uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls at home, please remember when you see somebody homeless, think about it. Think about what we've spoken about tonight. Think about all the help out there. But the most important thing that has happened tonight, without any shadow of doubt for me, is the fact that you really, really, really don't know if it could happen to you. You really don't know. Everybody in here is going to go home to a warm bed and be safe but it could happen to you thank you very much for everybody coming in tonight uh, I'm going to rush downstairs um, to take the news and then the peaceful hour we'd love to hear from you in uh, the last hour about what you thought tonight thank you once again to all my audience thank you to Jonathan my producer for working hard and Peter and Mick over there and also Carl but thank you to all of you for coming in today bye bye thank you very much indeed Thank you.